this week on the Dick and Ham Show, we're joined by Andrew Sam and Hugh, live from Melbourne. The show this week is brought to you by Snake Gun 2 for iPhone and Android. So welcome, gents. It's lovely to see your smiling faces. Andrew, it's lovely to see your stubby holder, which I believe is from the office of the man who gave you a vasectomy. Is that true? Yes, it is uh, from Dr. Snip, uh, the famous uh, proponent of the no scalpel vasectomy. How does he do that? Does he just does he just talk your balls into not working anymore? So, uh, he just punches you repeatedly in the lower region until everything stops functioning. It's it's dramatic, but I tell you this: he doesn't doesn't draw any blood. It's just a lot of self loathing is a is a key part of it. Yeah, it's uh, honestly, I'm I'm terribly afraid of needles. Uh, and so the no scalpel option, you know, really spoke to me. And so we went for it. Uh, I was in there. It was 15 minutes in and out. He, oh, I could watch the news while he went about it. He took me through the whole process in and out. I was riding a skateboard later that day. That's not a joke. And I'm not a big skateboard guy. Just the kids happen to have a skateboard lying around and I just jumped on it. He's like, here's four Panadol. <laughs> Call me in three weeks when you're cool. Um, and that was the whole story. It was, it was a gun. It was a gun. Sure, he did. Sure, he did. Not, not sure. Not sure. Um, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go into the intricacies of why I do or don't know whether he did or not. Uh, but things seem to be okay. Um, yeah, yeah, all good. I should have gone the no scalpel route. I went the full scalpel. Yeah, well, that was a, a couple of our mates have done that. The full um, urologist style, under the under the hammer, under the knife, under the anaesthetic mm-hmm. kind of route. Yeah, I know. It's not, it's not for me. Not for me. Well, I love the combination. I love the sequence of events. You went to a guy, he gave you a vasectomy without touching you seemingly. You read the news and then you rode a skateboard well, in Dave, celebration. It was 30 minutes door to door. Like I was in there, sat in the waiting room, filled out some forms, in, out, bam, drove home. Yeah, no must, no fuss. It was great. It was great. I, on the other hand, had jocks full of ice packs for six weeks. So... Six weeks? No, it was probably. I wouldn't know. I haven't done he's it. Still, he's still icing those bad boys. They're so big. Yeah, the recovery was certainly a lot longer, and um, I would probably recommend the no scalpel option to anyone else. Well, on that, on that cheerful note, I uh, I don't know what made me think of this, but I saw an old football replay, and I saw the infamous football park chicken salt sign in the in the grandstand. I believe that chicken salt is one of the only truly Australian inventions of the culinary world. I think there's things like the pavlova, which are disputed, but chicken salt, I believe, you certainly can't get it in, a, in many other countries. Isn't the dim sum is, an Australian yeah. invention? So you're saying that KFC, KFC chips in any other country do not have chicken salt on them? Well, I'd say they have their own proprietary salt, which may or may not be exactly chicken salt. Let me lay this on you. Uh, in America, KFC... No chips on the menu. How? Why? What? Do you believe that? No, I, I don't believe. It. I believe you're telling me it's a lie. With the several KFCs um, in New York for the chips, because I'm not really going there for the chicken, and uh, no chips. They had wedges only, no chips or fries. Nothing like a chip. That solves the question of who our first guest should be. We need the Colonel to come on here, Dave. You know. Uh... A lot of private investigators have been chasing him down for years. There's, there's no chance. There's no way. The colonel's such a recluse. No, but the, the herbs and spices recipe did leak. I've got it. I've made it. 
and it's uh, it's not bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware that it leaked. Is there a chance that that leak was a fake leak? It, it's like a. It's a colourful story of like some random guy in the south whose uncle used to work there and who knew the colonel and there was like some old recipe book that was found. And... Yeah, isn't that just the backstory of KFC itself? No, that there is a story about the eleven herbs and spices and they were a closely guarded secret. Now they sort of play it up for marketing purposes and talk about that it's in like a like a chicken themed vault that no one's allowed to open. What are we? What are we running in a chicken themed vault? You got to unlock it with a couple of drumsticks. What are we talking? <laughs> you got to peck the keypad if you want to open. Only chickens can open it. That's the that's the main thing. So the keypad's very low and it only responds to pecking, not not finger touch. <laughs> My favorite chicken mascot was the one in Burwood, uh, the chicken champ, and there was like a dais, like an Olympic oh, dais, with a yeah. chicken atop with a bunch of medals. Well, if that chicken was legitimately the champ, he it belonged on the top of that dais. There's no 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 issue with that. I know, but the champ at what? Getting killed and eaten, or mm. the champ at some type of athletic event? He's got medals. He's the he's the he's the absolute number one at providing flavor. Is it's what I would have thought. If you go back to the chicken salt, which is what we were talking about, I I thought about when different flavors started to join the landscape in Australia. Because when I was young, you you typically ate traditional meat and three vegetables. You know, at least we did. And the Australian food landscape was reasonably vanilla and stock standard. And then something changed. I, I think it was in the 80s when you started to... Like, I mean, when I grew up, there was no such thing as pizza. There was no such thing as sushi. And the first thing we ever saw was one of those cliched... Um, you know, terribly stereotypical Chinese restaurants. Just a just a back just a back. There was no such thing as no <laughs> such thing as pizza when you were alive in nineteen eighty five. What are you talking about? I didn't eat a pizza till I reckon I was seven. I think that's a specific problem to you. I don't, I don't think that's a general Australian problem. Okay, question: Was there a pizza restaurant in your neighbourhood? Yeah, it was the same one. Yeah, Columbus neighbourhood. <laughs> So you're saying there was pizza and it's just that I wasn't getting any of it. We're not here to question your family's ability to parent and offer you opportunities for, you know, overseas cuisine. What we're here to do is identify that you've had an awful upbringing. That's outrageous. I'm going to talk to Alan and Joss about this. You believe the only reason you didn't have pizza as a youngster was that there was no pizza available not that you were just restricted from pizza. <laughs> well, let me let me backpedal just one bit. I'm saying it was so. Yes, I may have been denied pizza, which I need to take up with my parents quite urgently. <laughs> Your parents were pizza deniers. They they were, but what I'm also saying is that as a, as a sort of a cornerstone of the cuisine, things like Thai food, things like you know pizza, I guess things like Japanese. It's not as commonplace. It was not something that was. Typical. Yeah, I, I agree that as a five to eight year old, I didn't have sushi. I agree with that. That's 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 the thing. But pizza? My first memory maybe of having pizza was either Pizza Hut or Sam, you might have done this. Did you go to the pizza by the meter? There's a restaurant that sold pizza by the meter. I had a birthday party at that pizza place and it was called Salvatore's. Pizza by the meter. How does the practicalities of that work if someone orders seven meters? It wasn't pizza by the foot or, you know, inch. It was, no. it was meters and centimeters of pizza. Can you guys still hear me all right or is, is it not working? No, I can hear you. I'm just disregarding most of what you're saying. 
I thought you were coming through a little bit fainter than 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 last week, Sam. When you had your headphones on, it, it was coming through really clearly, but it, it sounds a bit. Actually, faint was to me. just looking for them, but I think they're upstairs. Oh well, don't go and get them. We're only doing a serious podcast here, but no, that's cool. If you want to cut corners, Jesus. Creative differences. I'm going to join another podcast. <laughs> which which of the several that you're <laughs> contributed for? You know. Oh, he's going to get them. Oh, what a pro. What yeah, a he's pro. going to get no, them. Good. Oh, good. So no, I remember pizza by the meter, but there was a discrepancy with the measurement system, Andrew, in that pizza was measured by the meter, but hot dogs were measured by the foot because you could buy the super dog at the football was definitely a foot long. That was its, that was its USP. So if I didn't eat pizza till very late, what was the first pizza place you ate at then? Columbo's Pizza Columbo, House. You know for sure? You're dead set certain. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say my, I, I, mine would certainly be... Um, I would have said Pizza Hut, although I remember using Dinos, which was a thing. Yes, Dinos. You guys feel me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. That's much better. Yep. Um, yeah, Dinos, and they had a huge phone on top of the cars. Yes. Yeah, that, I remember that. It's probably the first genuine pizza experience I recall. I reckon mine was Toto's on Ligon Street, which was not the media pizza place, but was nearby. I remember that place well. I reckon that might have been my first as well. Just sidebar, a friend of ours who's known for telling stories claims that when he was a pizza delivery man for a brief period in the 90s, he lost his job because he showed up and delivered a pizza, but he'd already eaten a slice of it in the car. Do we do we believe in that no, story? Why? There's only one human I know out of our friends who's delivered pizzas. And that's a big, big man. Uh, are we talking about the same man? Drove a Suzuki? No, no. We're talking about someone who drove a, a VB Commodore with giant speakers like in the one back. One guys. I don't know. Now nah, that's which answers your question. But the big man driving the Suzuki, he, he um, delivered for Pizza Hut uh, for for quite a while, and uh, I don't I don't even recall him being fired for eating the goods. Well, he would have delivered them quickly. He drove that Suzuki faster than it was designed to go. Also, the fuel cost of having to carry that load, you know? He used to, quote, unquote, ring the neck of that vehicle. Oh, giddy, what? He basically drove it and looked like Bowser in Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah, he did. He looked like Homer in the clown car, you know? <laughs> Large person in a small car is always funny. It's the reason why Magnum PI drove that Ferrari. Someone was like, it'd be funny if we gave him a car that was small because he's big. And I guess it wasn't actually that funny, but that was their idea. I think they could have put Magnum PI in anything and he would have looked fucking shit hot. He was a good looking man. Hey, Ranch. He was. True or false? Didn't didn't have an anti-Magnum policy? No. False. Entirely. He, he promoted Magnum in the I house. Thought you, I thought you told me a story once about the fact that um, you used to, when you were a kid, you'd be like, oh, i got to watch Magnum. i got to watch the A-Team. i got to watch this stuff. That and your dad would just be like, this stuff is just pure shit, you. <laughs> and you'd be like, no, it's not. Then you watch it now, you watch it now and you're like, actually, he was right. Like two decades later, you're like, this is terrible. He'd always let us watch that stuff, but he was always pretty clear that, um, that Knight Rider and David Hasselhoff in particular was just a dreadful show and a dreadful actor. But like, he'd, A-Team he'd has aged poorly. If you watch the A-Team now, that's just... just- so hopeless. I'm sure Knight Rider has aged pretty badly too. It was a car with like a red mouth that could like give you GPS directions. That's <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> 
Hey, Andrew, could you could you drive up into a truck that's already on a freeway? Could you drive up the ramp behind a while it's on a freeway and you're on a freeway and you're both going 100? Could I'll you drive you this, into this it or not? a hotly debated topic and there's plenty of sites dedicated to it. Hey, and I'm not the guy who's, who's investigated this, but I can tell you for sure. Have you done it? Have I done it? Cross or mine? Okay, yeah, I called up a guy I know who's got a semi, and I uh, I just drove my I've got I've I got drove a semi. my Toyota Echo two thousand and four two door into the back of it at one hundred and forty clicks just to see what the fuck would happen. Yeah, Dave, that's that's what I'm up to. I'll tell you this: if your if your rear wheels are going at a hundred k's an hour, and and you hit a stationary ramp. You're going to fly through the front of that semi-trailer truck at 100 k's an hour. That's simply going to happen. So there's no denying that. That's a that's a flaw in the technology of that of that show. Or maybe Kit. Look, Kit. Kit maybe have been technologically advanced enough to um, to put the brakes on immediately upon hitting the ramp. I'm talking the instant he touches that ramp. Maybe he's good enough. I don't know. I, I never, I never saw like a reverse burnout. And we're talking about wheels that are going a hundred k's an hour immediately turning into reverse, much like what Ryan tried to do to Sam's fucking V VC Commodore down Marshall Avenue in Circuit True. 97. You know that that sort of stuff is gonna, it's gonna basically spit your gearbox out the side door of the vehicle. It's no good. It's no good. Well, yeah, Knight Rider, yeah, has not aged well, but Magnum PI has. If you were to watch that now, it's actually watchable, whereas the others, the others are, are not watchable. The the other thing that was on my mind about about food and and nostalgia was some some products have a lifespan that that makes sense and it's run its race, and that product has no no part in the world. Like perhaps the Twinkie in America, it sort of belonged to an older era, and or the or the Dick and Ham podcast, for instance, might run its course. Gone after four episodes, gone and not remembered <laughs> after four episodes, or, or three episodes if this keeps up. But there are some products that go too early, and I wonder: Do you guys have any that you just question why on earth it was taken away? And particularly Australian, like there's a great account on Twitter about nostalgic Australian kind of milk bars and foods, and they run through a lot of they run through a lot of ice creams. And when you look at the ice cream selection from when we were kids, it's it's radically different because they were locally conceptualized and made and then something happened in about 1990 and all of you know nestle were just like you know what just give those guys the global shit and that's when you started getting magnums and everything else which are great ice creams right but the the quirky australian like a cool shark or like a i was about to say bubble bill but i don't know if that was australian or not was a bubble bill in australian well, exists still i don't know but they're still going they're still going strong are they yeah what about the what about the Sam Toucan? Remember the Sam yeah. Toucan? Yes. You got to eat the stick. You got to eat the stick. Easy does it. We're delving into alternate podcast territory. Ranch, you 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 had your hand up in a hilarious advent of like Zoom technology, which is crazy. I remember my favourite Big M flavour was only around for about a year, and it was called an Egg Flip. Fucked if I know what was in it, but it was just they delicious. Do you remember back that? every couple of years? So it was actually back a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they remarketed it. Sounds gross. It does sound gross. I genuinely don't know what the flavour is, but you're right. It's labelled that. I, I, <laughs> I would hope for Christ's sake it doesn't have a live chicken in it somewhere. <laughs> Again, the recipe is stashed within a chicken fold. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly, in the, this 
this this day and age, things like the Golden Gate Time have survived the test of time. Like that is a still a, a viable, marketable, and well loved uh, flavor. But yeah, there's there's plenty of stuff that you you know, Sunny Boys is a, is a thing. I don't know where they went. You would think there's a market for that. It's just a frozen triangle. The packaging was the best thing about those. Remember, it was like a pyramid shaped package. I reckon kids eat less of that stuff at school now. Might have been the might have been because that was like a essentially a school lunch item, right? Like um, you wouldn't give them an ice bowl, but you might give them one of those. Maybe you could freeze them. Or was that the point of it? That, that was the point. Them, yeah, you? you're meant to freeze them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, I used to freeze primers. How would you consume it? Just out of interest, how would you consume a frozen? You, you just wait for it to slowly melt, and then you just consume the juice of a frozen primer. Yeah, I used to. Well, you could either freeze it and put it in the lunchbox, and by lunchtime, it's just like a Slurpee. Right. Or you could, um, I used to cut the top off and just like scoop it out with a spoon. So it's just like eating sort of a, sort of like a, like a Slurpee, I suppose. Far out. Okay. Mm, it was a treat, Andrew. It was a different time. I used to have a half pack of cigarettes and they, uh, and a Prima after school, you know, <laughs> but I didn't drink till after. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a different time. You can't judge no, it now. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you you can't. Know, very different time. And that was considered healthy. I mean, the, the, the Sunny Boy was a, was a health food item. It's just, we, we didn't know any better. That was like, it's got, it's got packed with sugar for energy. Yeah. Yep. Dad had come home, do a couple of lines, read me a book. It was, it was nice. I mean, you yeah. read it fast, but it would get done. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good. did not pick up any of it. Plus, he'd start breakdancing halfway through, which is weird. But plus, he'd sell you sell you some options in an offshore fucking mob, and it really <laughs> really hit some numbers. Yeah, I mean, I, I can stop recording. Oh if, no, if no, no, no! I don't think you need to. Jesus, God, God! I didn't no. know you started. That, that was my passive aggressive way of saying this is gone. This is gone on a weird tangent. <laughs> It's what the fans want. I keep reading the mailbox. Yeah, what they we're want. all a child of the environment we grew up in, so so be it. I know I had no pizza. Well, Dave, I think we all believe. I think we all believe you had pizza. We just for some reason you blocked that out of your memory. We don't know why. Ranch's dad hates Magnum PI. Still, still just laughing at Sam's reaction. Hang on, no pizza. <laughs> 1983. We're all thinking it. Dave's like, well, I don't remember the age of eight if I had Peking duck like sushi grade tuna or a Hawaiian pizza. Like, hang on a minute. One of those things don't fit like the other ones. I remember I remember a cold Saturday night in July when Hugh and I went to the launch of pizza in year ten in Australia. <laughs> change changed our lives forever. It was it was yeah, it was Gary Dolladino's and he really came in hot with his like attractive offers and speedy delivery. Really changed our lives. Okay. Yep. Can we track him down? The guy who started Dialer Dino. I bet you he's from Queensland. It just feels like a Queensland Ooh. thing. Read his name's Dino. Could, yeah, hard to tell. Maybe. Dialer Dino's pizza business was launched in Adelaide in 1984 by a local entrepreneur, Richard Westcombe, who was the first pizza delivery chain in South Australia and expanded to have more than 100 stores nationally. Dino's had no eat-in restaurants, was based on a business model for home delivery. The bright yellow Daihatsu cars with the red telephone receiver on the roof were easily identifiable, blah, 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 blah. 1989, Pizza Hut's, Pizza Hut's owners, PepsiCo Australia, merged with the company Dino's network of home delivery units. The merger saw the end of the Dino's brand and was established Pizza Hut as a national leader in pizza business. There you that go. would have been a tasty merger for Gary Dino or whatever his name is, or J- Jimmy Dino. Hey, speaking of celebrities from the 80s, sorry, Andrew, go on a sec. The, you know how I was really hankering for that ridiculous aerobics 
theme song uh, made famous by the Key and Peel aerobics meltdown. How funny scare. was that bit? So Unbelievable. Funny. Key and Peel like wasn't always funny, but the bits that were good were really, really, really good. Uh, Gremlins Two Writing Room. Unbelievable. That that get, <laughs> does not get enough credit for how funny that is. And before that guy showed that he was an incredible director, Academy Award winning director. But anyway, royalty-free music is usually terrible. Like, we, we don't have budgets. I'm looking through royalty-free songs to put on the Dick and Ham podcast, and most of it is oh, just horrendous. Like, there's a reason these people don't have a record deal. You know, they're, they're just awful. So I'm doing my best, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to find who wrote that song. I found him. It was a guy using a pseudonym. There's a guy in America called Dan Slider. And I wrote to him, like, hey... The Dick and Ham podcast is a thing, and we want it, <laughs> and we want to use your song. And he wrote back. First of all, he was he made you he, he made a mistake in believing that we were a thing. That's that's his first key problem. Isn't a royalty free track? It's, it's someone owns the rights to it, and it it comes down to to your in, your intentions. So when when it, like, name our intentions in ten seconds, I dare you. Not good. <laughs> okay, I, I can Andrew. It's uh. You, you have three different things that are really at play here. You've got editorial use of, of something that someone owns the rights to, which is basically if you're running a news story about a music festival and you play an excerpt like contextually that this is the song that was on, that's which okay, is, that's Which free. we could do because I've got some thoughts on Big Day Out 97, so we could do that. Easy. We could do that. There's commercial use, which is when you are trying to sell something or trying to profit and you attach that musical work and to it. Sponsors, then that's, so that's a world a thing, of pain. Done. Yeah, but that's a, that's a problem. That's when you have to start paying. And then there's fair use, which fair use is like everybody's allowed to just take a tiny snippet of something and use it for a tiny amount of time because it's insignificant and it comes under the category of this thing called fair use. So what we're doing is arguably... Did you guys ever hear in, um, in that Mad Men episode that finished out like season five, whatever, where he sits down and he's... Um... When, when Draper's moved into the city, he's got that trendy, like, 1960s apartment, and the episode finishes, and he just plays that Beatles song, Tomorrow Never Knows, and it finishes out the episode. The usage cost for that, and it played for, like, 20 seconds to close out, then it played over the credits, was 500,000 US. And, and the, the question is, who did that go to? Did that go to, if I'm remembering The Simpsons correctly, it went to Flanders? Yeah. yeah. There's every chance it went to Michael Jackson's estate, actually. No shit. Which is which is now what? Like who's running that estate these days? Yeah, that's right. Goodness. Yeah. So Morris. Yeah. Well, I had a yeah. I had a, I it was probably the, the, the kid from Home Alone and his brother. I, I used a clip or we tried to use a clip in a TV spot, Sam, for that ran in the Nordics. As part of the spot, well, first of all, I want we wanted to use a spot from Disney, or we wanted to use people referencing Frozen. Not even uh, maybe we wanted to use the song, and that that took three months of negotiation, and we ended up with something that wasn't wasn't viable but even to use two seconds of when harry met sally so that the people in the ad were going to be watching a tv there's a famous scene from when harry met sally is on it for two seconds that was about half a million dollars for that yeah because they don't want you to use it so they're just like fuck you if you're going to use it here's the cost baby yeah yeah it's fuck you money and and every now and then someone pays it we paid sammy davis jr's estate like 270k to use his song on some holden ads like two years ago isn't this all effectively the backstory of the film the the film about a boy with hugh grant isn't he inherited yes. the rights to like a christmas song that just get used all the time yeah his dad yeah and he just kept earning his money dad wrote off a funny christmas just this song. one song that keeps getting used it's the same principle, right? There's, off the yeah, residuals. Yeah. 
it's good business to be in for sure. Like just owning the rights to something like a Christmas song, which is, I believe that was the yeah, conceit was. of that film. That's the best deal because it comes back every year. You just like those old British rockers who had one hit and a Christmas song that was a hit, just these grizzled old guys. And they just start getting checks every December. But it also needs to have been from that era because you can't really add to the canon of Christmas songs. There's arguably not been one since Mariah Carey. Yeah, I was going to say Mariah Carey. I was going to quickly say that's the exact topic of a recent, you know, and I, I don't want to call it a rival podcast, but let's call it a, a genuinely on par, similar podcast to ours, Reply All, that has almost the exact same level of, of, of listenership. Uh, that's the exact topic of one of their recent ones is a, a Christmas song, uh, you know, take. So it's, it's worth listening to. Although if you're a fan of this podcast, there's no reason to stray to any other podcast. We'll give you every piece of information you need just on this one. So don't listen to any other one ever. Are they giving us money for that promo? Or I mean, what? I'm going to reach out to them and beg them for it. If that's what you're talking about. Can't just throw that shit in there. Now we need to start making money. We blew all our budget on mics. When I was when I've been mixing this up, I learn I've been learning a few tips and tricks. One of the things you do is you add bass to your <laughs> voice. Didn't have to do it for the ranch. He's got no bass oh, added to his voice nice. in his mix. So smooth. Oh, velvet lungs. Ranch, true or false? You did some VO work for Z Catches ill fated. I did pot for the pot station. And you've used the full names and everything about the, the, the technical <laughs> nature. Right, of it. True. Why don't you just why don't you just read out their ABN while you're at it? I don't understand. Oh, because they don't have one. Well, not anymore. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> the business doesn't exist. Ranch, can you can you remember what the voiceover was? Mm. Can you can you give oh, us a bit of a I bit of a taste? I can't remember any of the copy, but it was come to the pot station. www.potstation.com. We've got everything from terracotta pots to water features. Oh, that's right. How do you remember that? Hey, I remember things, Ranch. Hey, I remember things. Okay. Water features. Why are you got why are you saying it like that now? That's how he said it in the promo. I'm the only guy who's up at three AM to see the ad the three times it ran. So Ranch did the voiceover in the style of Scooby Doo, is that <laughs> yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get down to two sixty, P and Highway. Don't be out of the pot stand. Up for Zeb or his dickhead partner. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> I remember saying to him, "Hey, um, hey Zeb, no one will believe that's his real name anyway. Hey Zeb, um, why, why did you have your email addresses as you know Zeb etc at potstat.com.au when you could have just written Potstation?" And he goes, "I don't know, my brother. <laughs> that's not an answer. That's not an answer. No, I'm not a marketing genius, but if you." Make your email address not the same as the name of the business. It's unlikely people will know how to reach no. you as a business. No, you don't have to. You don't have to do an MBA to know that that's not the right approach. And Zeb. let's be honest. Oh. It wasn't like Zeb was halfway through his MBA when he's like, "Holy shit! I've come across a marketing campaign that will not fail. I'm going to change the name of everything to be a slightly different and shorter, unrecognizable <laughs> thing." To try and oh, tie into the Podstat. the location and name of my business. Yeah. Do you remember the the slogan? Remember the slogan? Ooh, no. Yeah, what, I do. Dave, I remember our slogan for a pot station. Now, come, come to pot station. If you had a shop, I'd shop at your shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was going a bit far when we did that. That no, that wasn't. Ad was in good. your wedding speech. The whole the whole thing was within three to five percent have been too far 
but it didn't. It wasn't too far. It was just great, and the Zeb stuff wasn't too far at all. It was perfect. So, little known fact, Sam, at your wedding, which was an amazing wedding, after me and Ranch get off stage, we're pretty. Ha- I mean, we were we were emceeing. We weren't doing speeches, but we we're still pretty happy with our bit. We put in a lot of work, a lot of props, of expensive props, and, and old old yeah. first edition mobile phones are not cheap. Ranch, do you remember what happened after we got off stage? There was a member of the wedding guest party who interacted with us. Do you remember what happened? Bought us to go on a TV show or something? Yeah, some random friend of Sam's family is like, you guys were good. I'm like, oh, thanks. No, no, really good. I'm like, oh, thank you. It's, you know, put a lot of effort. We bought these props. I'm glad you laughed. He's like, yeah, you know what? You should be on a TV show together. I'm like, yeah, well, I guess. He's like, I can help you with that. And then he, he sort of took our details and we never heard from him again. Who the, who the fuck was it? No one knows. Happy just me- you mentioning this to me now for the first time. It was just some random connected to your wedding. We never, we don't know who it was. He offered us a spot on a TV show and then turned out to be a complete phony. And that show turned out to be Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was Vince. It was Vince Gilligan. Like that's a whole career. Why wouldn't you be if Vince was there? Why wouldn't you pay more attention to that? So I'm just. I just did quick some quick hunting around for pot stats. Outdoor Edge Gardens, that rings a bell, is it? Yeah, that's what it became. It's what it morphed into. Well, it got a lot more professional. It's, um, look, so the website, the yeah, the, the website's eh, basic is the best probably description of it. Create garden envy at your place. Um, so that's something. Shop online. Hey, Dave. Sam. Dave, Dave, Dave slash you slash Andrew, can we shit on birds Ooh, again for oh, a second? Okay. Or well, he's, he's doubtful to hear this, so yep. Uh, I would have run this past Andrew because it was an IT-related oh, query, but do you remember when I told you overseas that we were at the um, to birds apartment, um, but, uh, and, and, and he's like, jump on my Wi-Fi. The password is WKS underscore 456 Zero 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 four, and I'm like, that's the password. He's like, yeah, it's nineteen zeros, and I'm like, can't you change it? He's like, nah, can't be changed. Can't be changed. I feel like we've gone to every time we've gone to his house for an NFL draft or something like that. We need to get on the Wi-Fi. It's the same thing. He has to pass around like a piece of cardboard where it's written down in Sharpie, so everyone can like type it in. It takes us forty-five minutes to get ready for the, the draft. It's a fucking nightmare. The... And Ranch, what what's that password stored in? What's the piece of paper the password stored in? The chicken vault. <laughs> <laughs> it's the highest security thing you can have. Highest you can get. I don't know if these podcasts are getting better or worse, you guys. Only a particular type of chicken can open it. Like, in in fairness to him, he was on the podcast last week. Is he a fair game for a targeted targeted attack on the following week's podcast? I, yeah, I don't look, know. he's a public figure now, so he's got okay, to accept yeah. that. Right. Yeah, well, exactly. It comes, comes to the territory. What I would say about this is that that password is bullshit and any password can be changed on anything because otherwise, what would be the point of passwords? Yeah, that's what I would say about it. <laughs> my password here at home is long and I've never updated it because I'm too lazy. But mine does not have the confluence of zeros this thing had in it. You should have seen it. It was like that long. It was like a whole cross, a whole A4 piece, but most of them were the same character. Yeah, but like, insanely enough, Sam, a lot of the time that, that can be enough to trip anyone up. It, the, the length of the password is typically the, the benefit rather than the specific characters in it. So he may be ahead of the curve. It's just crazy. It's just crazy enough that it might work. 
a quick bit I wanted to touch on was about my experience learning to speak Norwegian. Obviously, it's I've, I've been over here 10 years now, 10 plus years. And so look, for, it's not that easy to learn a second language when you're older. It's definitely your brain functions more effectively at learning when you haven't already kind of set these patterns in your brain of one language. So I found it not that easy. And, and I would still say I'm not a brilliant Norwegian speaker. You would not confuse me with someone who, who was born here. But my the thing I struggle with is I always translate things back into English. And Norwegian is such a practical, small language. The vocabulary is, is, a, is it's, it's a really small language and it's just not a lot of words for things. And so when you do that for certain things, it's just funny because there's no, like, for example, if, if you had a Norwegian girlfriend and you wanted her to talk sexy to you in Norwegian, the word, the, the word in Norwegian for nipple is bristvorte. And you know what that means if you translate it back to English? Milk distributor. It means uh, if you translate that back to English, it means breast wart. That's not hot. It's it's not it's not hot. It's not hot. It's not a thing not you hot. want to hear at any point. But the um, back in the day, there was also like a kind of a cultural localization effort. So if there was content coming in from the you know American or British films, they wouldn't just translate the title direct because they were worried people wouldn't understand and they needed context. So almost every film from the 80s has got this ridiculous Norwegian name that is like really far removed from the proper title because someone made like an editorial choice <laughs> on how to describe it. Do you want to hear a couple? Absolutely, I do. Jaws. So, Jaws. Uh, Jaws, people, people weren't going to understand Jaws, so that's called Shark Summer. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's, it's, it's practical. It's, it's, it's to the point. Uh, Gra- Groundhog Day with Bill Murray that they were just confused on what to do with that so that's called A New Day Threatens <laughs> uh, Austin Powers The Spy Who Shagged Me definitely no word for shagged so so the translation on that is Austin Powers 2 The Spy Who Spermed Me <laughs> that was, so that was acceptable though yeah okay, yeah, yeah cool yeah well you know the, the, yeah, no, sex talk is, is pretty open and pretty pretty you know, sex out there so that was that was they were just trying their best to explain it. And that was mm. what they came up with. But my favourite one was uh, the the various James Bond films. Some of them have been kind of accurately converted into Norwegian. Some of them haven't. And the one uh, you only live twice. The one where he's going through Tokyo and he's driving that cool Toyota and doing all that stuff. The, they just kind of couldn't think of any. And instead of you know recreating that sentence or that name in Norwegian, they decided to come up with. James Bond in Japan. <laughs> that was the best. Option it's like it's too hard. I'm gonna go. To, I'm gonna go for lunch. James Bond spy women. <laughs> Water ski. <laughs> hey Andrew. Yes. Hey you. Andrew. Do you know what next month is? The two year anniversary of the first time we watched Geostorm. Is that true? It is. Christ, it's it. I've never seen it. I was. I was doing a bit of reading about it today, knowing that we might talk about it. And just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what the hell Geostorm is. Prep. That's a nice one. 2017 movie by Dean Devlin, starring, of all people, Jared Butler as a brilliant astrophysicist. It's an incredibly dumb movie. And, you know, Andrew and I just randomly, I forget how it started, kind of started watching it around the same time in our respective houses. And that night we spent about... 250 text messages going through every insane line of dialogue, every ridiculous plot twist and laughed hysterically at every action movie trope from the 1980s. It was genuinely my first out-of-body sexual experience during a, a film and I've never 
never been able to replicate it. I've never, ever been able to get close to, to what we did that night. But why? What, what? Like, there's plenty of crap films. No, 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 but this one is super crap. Is it supposed to be crap? Not really. Like, it seems it seems perhaps a little bit self-aware, the fact that it's a little bit silly, but it's not It's not like a spoof at all. Because once, once they're self-aware, it can be okay, right? It becomes like Sharknado, where it's clearly no. ridiculous, and then it's sort of less funny. It's it's incredibly stupid this movie, but you you got to see it. It's just got every trope from from eighties action movies that we grew up watching, and it's it's absolutely sensational. So we should look into how we can kind of do a synced up watch of that um, and react to it. That would be very it's, good. It's absolutely brilliant. To give a, a very slight amount of context for the listeners, the the four that that clearly we have at this point, at one point a lightning bolt makes us a football stadium explode. Now, I don't know a lot about ignition or like combustibility, but I know that concrete and electricity doesn't equal, you know, explosions. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Well, Sam, Sam and I will avoid it until, until we watch it together. And I, I like, Which I like should be films easy that, to avoid. yeah, it should be. I like films that are like, bad and not trying to be bad i think there's there's too many self-aware films that are like wink wink look at how terrible and tacky this is and i reckon that stopped being funny quite quickly that's like cats would be worth watching that's meant to be like a literal like like fireball train wreck do you know what i mean like it's because it's like got real actors in it cost 150 million dollars to make has lots of cgi and is still just like mind-bendingly inexplicable and over the toply intensely creepy like Stuff of nightmares. Avatar. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew's on an island on this one. Can I tell you, like James Cameron, if you ever listen to this, and God love you, because a, a lot of the stuff you've done has been incredible, and I know that you're a, a qualified and, and well-respected undersea cinematographer. Fuck Avatar. Can I tell you, honestly? like well, Andrew, he's not going to cast you as a gnome in his next movie now, is like he? They, like they brought him in as an expert on how to make sure that a watch doesn't crack under extreme pressure. Like, yeah, Rolexes are cool. No one's diving to the bottom of the ocean. They're going to crush a man's skull before you need to worry whether you can tell time on the fucking wristwatch. Is that why you... But is that why you hate Avatar? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, what's happened to this? No, no, no. I, I, don't like Av- I, don't, I don't like Avatar because the film was dumb. I mean, Unobtainium was dumb, but I couldn't put my finger on yeah, it. Yeah, that like- was dumb. That was dumb. Part of the key, part of the film is get to the Unobtainium and Unobtainium is dumb. Isn't the whole thing crumbling under the weight of its own insanity? But what about the spectacle of what was created around that? Can't you just ignore that pocket of really lazy, shitty writing? No, you're right. He invented 3D. Like, fuck off. It's just like, now you hate now you hate 3D. You're just like Axel Rose. You're, ha- you're firing off hate in every direction. It has no, <laughs> has no focal point. I didn't know Axel Rose was doing that. So Chuck Klosterman said that when he wrote a... a magnificent review of Chinese democracy, which I, I send around every 18 months. <laughs> that and the Richard Branson complaint letter. Do you remember that complaint? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Mustard. Mustard Richard. He says the word Richard. Mustard Richard. Richard. That is, that that is a masterpiece. A, it was, that's exactly the word I was going to use. That is a masterpiece. Yeah. Avatar is not. <laughs> remember that show, Andrew? Remember that show you and I stumbled across where Richard Branson would give people business challenges yes. and the people who yes. succeeded in the business challenge the most he'd award with like a uh, with some sort of yeah, the, prize, the, 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 and on one of them, the prize was that you got to have a tea party on top of a flying yeah. air balloon. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the, the famous <laughs> one was the no, the famous test was 
All right. Uh, we're going to drop you. We're going to put you in a barrel uh, that has protection inside of it, but like you're strapped in, the barrel's safe, but we're going to drop you off the edge of Victoria Falls in the middle of Africa. And you have to decide at the top of the falls whether you'll do it. And then like half the entrance did it and then half the entrance <laughs> did it. And, and it gets to the end and Richard Branson goes, right, for those people who did it, you're out. You, you failed the game. For those who didn't, it was, yes, you did the right thing. It was too big a risk because in business, you've got to take <laughs> risks and that was too big a risk. You're stupid and get out of the game. You're like, how do we win this game? We just literally put our, our lives on the line to try and win the game <laughs> yeah. and we failed? What are you doing, yeah. Richard? Which uh, Richard. which kicked off 10 years of Sam and Andrew saying to each other, Andrew, in yeah. business, <laughs> you've got to make the right choices. And today... You made the wrong choice. That barrel roll was suicide. It was suicide. You should never have done that. Okay, but I thought you wanted us to be brave. Yeah, but brave to a point and not to the point you were today. Yeah, fuck. How do we... It would have been a massacre down there on those rocks. You would have smashed a smithereen. Literally, these guys were inside of a... a they were like packed inside a beer drum. It was so small and like compact. And they were dropped off... But the, they didn't do it right. dropped off the edge of Victoria Falls, which is big. But didn't they not? My memory was that, that the people who said, yes, we'll do it, never actually did it. The producers were like, all right, you've said you'll do it, and that's great. There's no way this is happening. You'll all be fucking killed. But the people who said, <laughs> the, the people who said, no, I won't do it, they're the ones who are rewarded. And then Richard Branson, the people who said that they would do it, thinking they were going to be made heroes, he was just like, that was, a, that was, a, that was a suicide mission. I thought Richard Branson watched them do it and like just <laughs> laughed as they flew off to their certain death. And the prize for the winner was you go up in an air balloon, you go up in a hot air balloon, you get up to, you know, however many feet, and then you get onto a ladder from the basket of the balloon that goes around the outside of the... <laughs> This is yes, all fitting. No, I'm not making true. any of this. You climb up the ladder to the top of the balloon where there is like a butler with a table and chairs on the top of the balloon and have a cup of tea with Richard Branson. Legit. To be fair on the entrance of that show, one of the people that finished that show ended up being like the CEO of one of his like genuine subsidiaries and was still a massive part of that organization till, till maybe really recently. I did not know so, that. Good, good on them for like doing it and then becoming a real thing because who would have... All I know is you used to say the person's name, comma, and then in business, comma, every time. <laughs> yeah. Q, <laughs> in business, comma. So it sounded like Brian Brown is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. It was 2004. It was the rebel billionaire Branson's yep. quest for the best. <laughs> I love reality TV <laughs> contestants who do something really just that you shouldn't do and they don't get rewarded for it. Do you guys remember the <laughs> that were tangentially connected to our friend? I remember, yes. Well, anyway, there, there was a group of girls who hailed from who hailed from Poland and we were sort of basically knew them a little bit for a short stretch of time. One of them went on a reality TV show called Fear Factor, which was Mike you probably Whitney. remember. <laughs> Mike Whitney. <laughs> Yes. Mike Whitney yes. and Tanya, but, and Tanya yeah, Zayeta. Yeah, yeah. Tanya but, it was, Zayeta. but it was on the tail end. They obviously tape a lot of episodes and they, they you know package them up and do it next year. And so my recollection, and Boots might be able to validate this for us given that he's a lawyer, 
My recollection is that she did quite well on Fear Factor because she was a brave young lady. One of the challenges, she ate a plate of bull's testicles and she ate like way more than everybody else in order to progress through the next round. Like enough bull's testicles to really make an adult sick. <laughs> and, but here's the thing, the show never went oh, to no. air. <laughs> so she never got the rewards for her efforts. Never, it was never saw the light of day. She did it and never got the glory. I guess whatever type of glory you get for eating a plate of bull's testicles. I guess we're still talking about it, so... Yeah, she got she got yeah, the fame. Yeah. Maybe get a sponsorship with a bull testicle company. The, and those those are rare. Those testicle company <laughs> sponsorships. We know that. The sponsorships or the well, companies? Both, Probably yeah. both, I guess. Sponsorships are pretty rare around here. We as in we don't we don't have any or any prospects of it. Um so we're like we're already fifteen minutes over time. We've talked about Four two things. How can we ever be over and, over time on a thing that has no defined time? Well, I, it's because or I purpose. have someone covering for me in daycare, oh, I see. Andrew, so I have to go back down and man, manage my child. Little known fact about Andrew, he has every email that this group of friends has sent around since the inception of email. Inception of email is a big call. I have got a gap there from the very, very early days when it was, wasn't sure which platform we would necessarily all trend towards. But yeah, I've, I've got a lot. You got them from the S Express yeah, era. Oh, absolutely, and and yeah, it's hard for people to refute some of the um, historical significance of certain events when it's easily referable and, and indexable. So, yeah, good luck. Is that why you did well, it? Well, I just hate throw. I'm a, I'm a hoarder at heart. I hate throwing things away, and so particularly data when I know it's easily storable and there are ways to do it. So, I just just trended towards that early days. It's, it's been a source of entertainment. I think the, the way people used to write and relate to each other, it's so long ago now. Oh, some of the stuff that's 20 plus years old is crazy. It's, it's like, it's genuinely excellent to have that. I've got historically a lot of stuff <laughs> that I've just kept because it's, it's worth keeping. It's, it's a record. It's like a diary, but it's everyone's thoughts that have come at least towards me. Andrew, it looks like you're sitting in a ski lodge drying room based on those jackets that are behind you there. I'm at Falls Creek right now. Yep. There you go. That would, that would make sense. My, my recollection from those emails, just to, to tidy that up, the it seems when you read the emails we were sending around and reading, or perhaps this is the ones that I was keeping back in like the turn of, of the century, it seems like most of the emails were people traveling and then sending big group emails to people like big groups, even people I barely knew, talking about what a great <laughs> trip they were going on and telling them how much travel expands the mind and you should come over. Yeah, that's true. It's because it, it was the WhatsApp of its day, really. So all the nonsense that we do on WhatsApp now is all email, right? Hey, Ranch, um, how, how is lockdown in Melbourne at the moment? What's, what's the latest? It's for, for me personally, it's been a bit, a bit strange, as it has for everyone, I guess. I've probably been lucky in that, you know, my job hasn't necessarily been affected, but it's been spending a lot of time. Um, you know, my industry's been heavily affected, so spending a lot of time kind of working through that on behalf of our company. And so it's it's kind of been pretty hard. But um, to tell one thing I've noticed is, geez, if you stop exercising and eat a lot of ice cream, you tend to put on a fair bit of weight. So that's kind of been my experience. Um, and yeah, it's it's, it's been. Yeah. Yeah, like difficult in a way. Like I, I realise that I, you know, like to have a fair bit of structure in my week and kind of what I like to do. And I, 
guess when I lose that, I kind of I've lost really the ability to, um, you know, really regularly kind of, you know, look after myself as I probably should have. What about you guys? Hey, Ranch, how long is a piece of string? It, it's, it, yeah, it's been, been rough. I think it's hard to know. I mean, there was talk just this week of the government potentially, even though they'd forecast easing restrictions next week, the fact that there've been a spike in cases that they may instigate a, a pair back of the response to easing. Although I think that's all going ahead now. It's hard to read. It's, I think worldwide we're going to see a re-spike. How bad it is locally, it's it's hard to know. But I mean, I've got, I've got grave fears for the economy personally of of what it's going to be like in the next three to six months. I think we're going to be in for some pretty bad times. Sam, what's what's news with you guys? Uh, yeah, like, I, I'm not a I'm not a virus skeptic at all, and um, I've treated it as seriously as everyone else has, which was the right thing to do. I'm probably starting to get frustrated on the reporting of it. The so-called spike we're having, like these numbers are like unimaginably statistically insignificant. Most of the people in the quote spikes are people arriving from overseas. Like they'll report like 20 new cases. Then they'll be like, by the way, 13 of them arrived on a plane from somewhere else. And you're like, well, that's not, that's not really relevant to people living in Melbourne. Aren't Aren't our borders predominantly shut? Yeah, but they're still, if you're, Aussies overseas. Can I, I still could come, come back. Home. I could and come so back, but you do so quarantine, it's really, right? It, but it's complete bullshit, right? Like if a if a plane of three hundred people comes back and there's sixteen people with the virus on it and they land here, they shouldn't just be lumped into the number of five people who got it in Northcote or whatever. Like it's not the same. It still feels pretty concerning that there's such a high number of people who happen to be on flights from overseas. Like heaps of them still have it. Well. It shows, it shows, or two things. It shows how bad it is overseas, where it's really bad. And then, secondly, it show, and the, the other thing is, like, out of those twenty people that was like yesterday or the day before, the thirteen from overseas who'd come in, who all had it, had no symptoms. So that's why that's why it's so dangerous because they don't even they're, they're arriving here going sweet, and they're like, we'll just test you as a precaution, and they've got it. But like for context, and again, I, I'm really not that I'm downplaying this thing. It's not real. Like I'm a hundred percent on board, but the reporting starting to annoy me. For context, in Florida, which is the third or fourth biggest state in the US, and because it's America, it's got like 25 million people in it or something, their their daily total of cases is going up every day. And they've had 3,400 deaths in Florida. We've had 100 in Australia. So just for context, Florida as one state has had 34 times as many deaths as Australia so far. So like, it's just because we're all so concerned about it and we should be, that's fine. But like this, the, there is numbers are minuscule like at this point. So, um, you know, yeah, it, 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 um, it really feels like just in the U S they just kind of got bored of being in quarantine. They just got bored of the coronavirus. So wanted it to stop and just started to yeah. try to live their lives. And I just, I feel like it's going to be so bad in there. It's, it's so not even bad. a second wave. Like that Fauci guys like second wave is not the right to put it. It's just the first wave. It didn't finish. And then, so there, there's a lag of a week or two before there's deaths. And so by the end of the month, like it'll be interesting to see, they may get back up to 1,000, 1,500 a day. It's still 700 a day dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. Yeah, and like this, still averaging 20,000, you know, new cases a day. And, you know, like you look at every graph and, you know, by, by this point in the, in the journey, every country on, on earth had found a way to kind of decrease it to some degree, whereas the U S has decreased it a little bit, but then it's just kind of, it's just plateaued. And 
you know, everyone just decided they wanted to go back outside again and do whatever they wanted to do. And I just, I just think it's only going to get a lot worse. We've kind of been well led. Like I've got to say, like it's, it's somewhat reaffirmed my scepticism in our political system. Like it's been pretty good. Like what do you, yeah. what do you think of Labor in Victoria and Liberal nationally? Like they've worked pretty well together. They haven't shat on each other all the time. No one's really played politics. That'll all kick in soon as things get better again. They'll start taking pot shots at each other. But it's worked how it's meant to work. In America, it hasn't worked at all. No. At all. So, like, um, it's, it makes you feel good about being here, frankly. Like, we've been pretty pretty adult about it. Ranch, the, on the flying thing and people coming in on planes, Ranch, you obviously know a lot about the aviation industry and you know I'm an amateur aviation buff. Are you? Anything... Any thoughts on the... Sure, I love planes. Absolutely. Dave's a, Dave's a closet aerosexual. Uh, yeah, I'm an aerosexual. Yeah, an I am. Aerosexual. Am. Is that the term? What metal are you flying, Dave? What metal are you flying? That's what they say. It's what we say in the biz. Yeah. This is why I didn't tell you. <laughs> no. This is why I didn't say anything to anyone except Ranch. Except you announced it to a, I want to say, international audience, you dickhead. It is an international audience, <laughs> technically. 12 listeners. I was I was starting to say I went to the Museum of Flight in Seattle, which once America is a good place to go again. I highly recommend that, um, just as an aside. But Ranch, as a as a knowledgeable aviation uh, person, future of flying, what does it look like? I mean, right now you're wearing a mask at all times unless you're eating. One word, Dave: jetpacks. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, this is why Boots took your spot last week. Boots was good. Boots is good last Boots week. Boots is good and you're good. Let's not go down that path. Ranch, what, what do you make of what? I mean, what's it going to be like to fly somewhere in five years? So, look, interesting. I, I'm not quite sure we'd necessarily know uh, what in-flight would necessarily look like. You know, there's certain economics that go with actually, you know, flying an aircraft that means that you just have to have a certain number of people on there to make it commercially viable to do so. Um, you know, if it becomes a situation where it's so restricted that, you know, you need to leave middle seats empty and stuff like that. It's just not going to be commercially viable for for operators to to fly aircraft without charging exorbitant prices. So, you know, if prices are going to re- remain low for people and travel is still something that people want to do, they'll still be at somewhat, let's call it full capacity. I think what will certainly change will be kind of pre-departure and the airport experience. Um, you know, you tend to have to get to the airport reasonably early still these days. That is going to be even more. I think there's just going to be you know, increased um, kind of screening and, and health checks and things. And there's just going to be more more of those checks to do pre-departure. So, you know, more time at the airport, you know, um, you know, more time spent between connecting flights, that sort of stuff. It's probably just going to be slower in that respect. The actual experience on board, I think, will maybe it's just too early to tell, but I'm kind of assuming that goes back to being somewhat normal. People still need to eat. People still need to hydrate. People still need to go to the toilet. And, you know, you still need to have enough people on it to make it commercially viable to fly. I was thinking of Kick Puncher before when we were talking about Geostorm, that Kick Puncher, a man whose punches have the power of kicks. Do you, do you remember what Kick Puncher 2 was called? The Kickening. The Kickening. <laughs> One of the best episodes for that was when... <laughs> One time, remember the episode about Blade? When we're talking about Community, which is a show we're all big fans of on this podcast... There was an episode where Britta was dating a carny called Blade and it's interfering with Troy and Arbed's ability to watch the Wesley Snipes movie Blade and they're kind of trying to watch it 
and the sound effects of blade killing zombies that's just yeah. going on in the background yeah. the time <laughs> is so, is so <laughs> fucking great. Which actually leads me to a fantastic uh, segue, which is um, what we do in the shadows. We, we, I know you guys talked about last week about better yeah, shows that you've been watching. Obviously, with uh, Jermaine and I, I'll never get. Tiger's name, name Matt, Berry. yeah, Matt Berry's in it, but um, like a Watiti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Ranch, for for coming in with the correct pronunciation there. But uh, the the movie was obviously great, and the TV show is is excellent as well. And yeah, I've heard it's really good. Watch. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly worth a watch. Yeah, no, it is worth a watch. Well, it's time to wrap it up. So thank you to Hugh, thank you to Sam, thank you to the Ranch. That was the Dick and Ham show for this week. Another Dick and Ham show in the books. 